There's a documentary called Super Size Me. Maybe some of you have seen it. And in Super Size Me, Morgan Spurlock eats McDonald's every meal for 30 days to find out what the consequences will be. He sets himself some rules, though. He must eat McDonald's three times a day for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. Over the month, he must eat every item on the McDonald's menu at least once, so he covers everything. And he's not allowed to eat anything that is not from McDonald's. So if he wants water, that's okay, he can buy it from McDonald's. If he wants a carrot, too bad. McDonald's don't sell carrots. His final rule, if he's asked to upsize, in other words, would you like fries with that, he must say yes. What did he find? Did it have consequences? Of course it did. Tummy aches, vomiting, depression, headaches. He gained 11 kilos in the 30 days. In fact, after three weeks of the experiment, he was having regular medical checkups. His doctor told him he would have to stop or it would have severe, lasting, long-term health effects. He didn't stop. He saw the experiment out. Of course, a McDonald's-only diet has consequences. You'd be mad to think that it didn't. What about a life of ignoring God? Do you think that will have consequences? That's what today's passage is about. As bad as a 30-day McDonald's diet might be, it is nothing compared to the consequences of ignoring God. And we're not talking so much about the future consequences. We're talking about the now consequences. Look with me at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Over the next few weeks here, we're doing a short Easter series from the book of Romans. And today we're thinking about why we need Easter. As you think about Jesus alone, hanging there on the cross, why did that terrible thing have to happen? What on earth in this world caused that event of Jesus' death to be necessary? And to put it simply, we find out today, we need Easter because God is angry. God is angry because we ignore him. Look again at verse 18. The wrath or the anger of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Have a look back in verse 18. Did you notice that word there, suppress? We know there is a God because God has made it plain to us, but we choose to suppress what God has made clear. We choose to hold it back. We ignore the truth about God and we live as if there is no God. And what is clear from these verses is that's not an accident. It's not as if we can somehow get through life and simply not notice that God is there, like I might do when I'm driving the car and I don't notice the turn-off. No, this is a deliberate ignoring of something that is right there before our eyes. We suppress the truth. Look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power 
and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Look around the world and it is very clear to everyone that there is a God. Now we don't know a lot about God by just looking around the world, but Romans here says that we can see his eternal power and his divine nature. In other words, we can know that there is a God out there. And you don't need to open a Bible or come to church to realise that you can see it just from observing the world. It is clear. Look at verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. And because it is so clear, we don't have any excuses. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So however clever you might be, whatever fancy ideas you might come up with about where the world came from, if in your thinking you have come to the conclusion that there is no God, that is because you have deliberately suppressed the truth about God somewhere along the line. We don't ignore God because of lack of evidence. Even Adam and Eve, face to face with God, ignored him. And we all do it. Not because of lack of evidence, but because we don't want there to be a God. We don't want there to be someone else telling us how to live. So we deliberately suppress the truth. I love going down to Burundong Dam, just standing there on the dam wall, looking at and marvelling at all that water that is being held back by the dam. Did you know that Lake Burundong holds 11 million megalitres? That's three and a half Sydney harbours. All that water just being held back by a few rocks with a road on top. It's incredible. That idea of holding back, that is the feel of this word suppress in verse 18. It is talking about deliberately holding something big back. There's a massive amount of evidence for God, but we ignore it. We reject him. We suppress the truth. Now that alone would be bad enough that the whole creation ignores its creator. That, that alone would be enough to arouse God's anger. But it's worse than that. As we read on, it's not just that we reject God. Having said no to God, we then replace him with other things. Look at verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals, and reptiles. Now, we might have not have that kind of thing here in Dubbo, but this is talking about the human race as a whole. Travel around the world, and in every culture, you will see statues of false gods, idols carved from wood or stone, gold Buddhas, totem poles. That is what the Bible calls idolatry, and that is making other things into replacement gods. See, we were designed to worship, to worship God. We were made to live for something outside of ourselves. And when we reject God, 
We can't do the very thing that we're created for. And so we need to find other things to worship, less worthy things. We worship created things instead of the creator. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. See, when we suppress the true God, we find other things to fill the hole. Dogs were made to chew bones. What happens if you leave a dog out the back with no bone to chew? It'll chew anything. It'll chew slippers. It'll chew a newspaper. It'll chew a toy doll. We were made to worship God. Take away God and we will worship anything. Money, sport, career, family, TV celebrities. See, what does it mean to worship something? It means to live for it, to love it, to serve it, to define yourself by it, to delight in it, to find your meaning in it. And what happens is that when we don't serve God, when we don't find our delight in God, we try miserably to serve and worship other things. We make up other gods. Now, 2,000 years ago, in the time of Jesus, around the time when Romans was written, they had a whole system of gods that they invented to worship. The Greeks had Aphrodite, Apollo, Mercury, Zeus, and so on. They had feasts to their gods. They set up temples to their gods. They offered sacrifices to their gods. It sounds so barbaric, doesn't it? But are we any different? Sure, the names might have changed, but we worship the same things. Aphrodite was the Greek goddess of love and beauty and sex. Isn't that what we as a society worship? Isn't that what we look to to fill the whole? Love, beauty, sex. Hermes was the Greek god of travel and adventure. Isn't that what we delight in? Mercury was the god of wealth. Isn't that exactly what we serve? Dionysius was the god of wine and parties and drunkenness. Isn't that what our society delights in? Nike was the Roman god of victory who re rewarded sporting victors with fame and glory. We even have the same name. Isn't that who we give glory to? Our great sport heroes. We stick their images on our bedroom walls. We talk about them. Pick up any newspaper, pick up any TV guide, walk into any newsagent and you will see our gods. Wealth, beauty, sport, sex, hobbies, family, travel. They are what we live for. They are what we serve. They're what we measure ourselves by. They're our gods. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Now, don't hear me the wrong way here this morning. I'm not saying that those things are wrong. Sex and food 
and nice sunsets to look at. They're good things that were given to us by God. They were made by God. Things our Creator has given us to enjoy. But when we ignore our Creator and live instead for the things He has created, it doesn't get worse than that. That is idolatry. That is saying that the things God has made are more important than he is. What will be the consequences of that? What will God do about it? Well, we read about it in verse 24. God will pour out his anger on us as a human race by letting us do the very things that we want to do. What God does about it is that he hands us over to our false gods. He lets us destroy ourselves. Three times in these next few verses, we read the phrase, God gave them over. Verse 24, verse 26, verse 28. God gave them over. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. Verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Verse 28. Furthermore, Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. God could stop us. God could restrain us. But he gives us over to life without him so we can see how perverted we are without him. In fact, that phrase, God hands us over, it's a phrase from the Old Testament When the nation of Israel turned against God and served idols, God said to the nation of Israel that he would give them over to their enemies in judgment to be destroyed. And here, God is handing us over in his anger to the very things that we love that will destroy us. And so our rejection of God gets worse. When God hands us over to live life totally without him, we find as a human race more and more things to do wrong. And so in verse 26, women become lesbians and have sex with other women. Verse 27, men become homosexual and have sex with each other. There's nothing new about that. It's not that we're so progressive. This was happening 2,000 years ago. And it's not natural. The words God uses to describe it are impure, indecent, unnatural. And this is all the judgment of God. Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Look around the world and the way people are living is evidence that we are already under God's judgment. So homosexuality, not only is it a wrong thing, it is God allowing people to do what shouldn't be done. And the very fact that people live like this is evidence that we are already under God's anger. He's allowing it to happen. And when our government passes laws to legalise such things, that is God's judgment on us. Look at the end of verse 32. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. But this passage is not pointing the finger at particular sins. It's actually describing us all. Look at verse 29. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, 
evil, greed and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is what the human race looks like when we are handed over to do what we want to do. We disobey our parents. We gossip about other people. We're deserving of death. And all these things that make life so hard and so painful, they're all part of God's judgment on this world. They are a sign of what happens when we ignore God. That is the state of our world. And just in case for a moment you might be thinking that this is talking about someone else out there, that this passage is just talking about the really bad people and not you, look at chapter 2 verse 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So we're all like this in our hearts. This passage is talking about everyone before we're saved by God. That is how God views this world. It is a world that suppressed the truth about him, a world that continues to ignore him, a world that has replaced him with other things, a world that has abandoned God and is right now under his anger. Romans 1 is a very dark but true analysis of the world we live in. Why, why is it here? Why is this dark chapter of the Bible here? It's because if you don't understand how bad things are, you won't appreciate what Paul goes on to tell us in the next few chapters, which is how good God's rescue is. See, right back at the start of this section, Paul began in verse 16 by saying, Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. But before God, Paul tells us how great the salvation is, he needs to show us how desperately we need to be rescued. Last October, you might remember those 33 miners rescued from the mine in Chile. The whole world stopped as over one billion people watched them get rescued. What made that rescue so spectacular? Why, why were so many people interested in it? Wasn't it because of the enormity of the trouble that they were in? They were 700 metres underground. It was 17 days before they even discovered anyone alive and it was 69 days before they managed to drill down. It looked helpless. And the rescue was so incredible because of the terrible situation the miners were in. Romans 1 is about the terrible situation we as a human race are in. And it's here so that we will appreciate how wonderful the rescue is. And next week and at Easter, we're going to hear about that rescue. A rescue in which the Son of God 
will lose his life. We're not going to go into it this morning, but all you need to know for today is the news about God's rescue is called the gospel. And Paul says that that gospel is good news. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Why would Paul even contemplate being ashamed of good news? Why does he even raise the issue here of being ashamed of the gospel? Well, it's because this world hates the gospel. This world hates the message of Jesus because it hates God. It has suppressed the truth about God. This world is opposed to the gospel. But that is not a reason to be ashamed about the gospel. That's not a reason to keep quiet about Jesus. It's the opposite. It is the reason we need to talk to people about Jesus. Only the gospel has power to take people who are under God's anger and make them friends with God again. So the next time you're sitting around at work and your friends are skiding about who they've had sex with, don't be embarrassed about not joining in. Love them enough to share with them the gospel. Next time you feel left out because you're not chasing the idols of this world, don't be fooled by the lie that they fulfil. We look out on this world and we see people going about their nice little lives, driving their cars around Dubbo, dropping their kids at school, working hard, nice lives. God looks down and he sees a world rejecting him. God looks down and he sees a world that hates him. God looks down and he sees a world stuffing itself sick with anything except him. This world is not neutral. This world hates God. What can possibly have the power to break into people's hearts and turn them back to God? The gospel. So don't be ashamed of it. In fact, perhaps this Easter you could pray for opportunities to share it. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Let's pray. Father God, it is so easy for us to just become accepting of what this world is like and think that it's normal, think that there'll be no consequences, think that everyone is okay. So thank you for a book like Romans, which honestly shows us what this world is like. And Father, as we think about the terrible uh, predicament that our world is in, we pray that it wouldn't fill us with any sense of smugness or boastfulness because we know that we would be no different if it weren't for Jesus. But Father, we pray that it would fill us with a sense of urgency to share the gospel with people. Father, we pray that you might help us see clearly that what this world needs is the gospel. And we pray that this afternoon, this week, Easter, you might give us opportunities to speak the gospel into the lives of our friends and family. And Father, thank you that the gospel is powerful, that it is your power to save people.
Help us not be ashamed of it, but help us to trust in its power. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.